one of the things that we try to do in our business is to recognize that if something's not working, to avoid sunk cost fallacy and just stop doing it and try something else. And to try two or three different things with the understanding that maybe at best one of them will work and that once we see which one it is, we can start to focus our efforts in that area. Welcome to The Thinking Leader, brought to you by Red Team Thinking. Bad leaders react, good leaders plan, and great leaders think. Each week, you'll get new ideas and insights from business executives, military experts, and innovative thought leaders to help you lead more effectively and better navigate your complex world. Now, here are your hosts, best-selling business author and top-rated leadership speaker, Bryce Hoffman, and former RAF Wing Commander and Business Agility Coach, Marcus Dimbleby. Well, good afternoon. My name is Brian Hatala. I am hijacking the Red Team TV showcase for today. Bryce Hoffman, who has been a wonderful friend and, and colleague I've known since we've actually been in attendance at the Command and General Staff College at the Red Team Leader course. So Bryce, uh, thank you for allowing me to take over as hosts for today. Uh, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian, and, and, and uh, happy to turn the, turn the tiller over to you. Maybe you could tell folks a little bit about your background. Obviously, from our introduction, you people probably can guess that you uh, have a military background, but maybe you could tell people a little bit about what you did in the military when you left and what you're doing now. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, after, uh, so I was enlisted for three years as a counterintelligence agent. Did uh, then I went to West Point, became an officer, uh, served as an intelligence officer for uh, my 20 year career, and I just retired in 2021. And currently now I am an MBA student at William and Mary. Awesome. And you're 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 uh, you're 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 particularly focused right now on entrepreneurship, right? That is correct. In fact, uh, I set this meeting up and Bryce allowed me to, to steal this show because of the in innovation entrepreneurship class that I am taking at William Mary's Mason School of Business. In particular, uh, the, the class has given us an assignment to develop one of our entrepreneurial skills. One of my skills that I'm trying to focus on, and I thought Bryce would be a perfect person to glean on information, is the idea generation. I do a great job of generating ideas and I can, my wife can tell you, I go out and generate ideas every time we go into public. The challenge that I've had is taking that uh, idea, capturing it in such a way to develop it into something that is useful, something that every entrepreneur needs to learn. So Bryce, I would really love to have some time where we can sit and talk about this and uh, really take us back to the beginning, take us back to American icon, if you will. <laughs> yes, well, American icon is is what led me to go from being a a a, a journalist uh, to uh, to having a real real career, so to speak, um, as as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, um, and uh, as someone who takes ideas and doesn't just write about them, but puts them into action and, and turns them into a business to into a company, and. Um, you know, the first thing I'll say just before we get into that, Brian, is that that this issue of how to capture your ideas and turn them into actionable products, services, offerings, it's a tough one. You know, I mean, it's like I have a I have a 
I have a, uh, a, a notebook I keep of, of ideas that come to me of things that some of them are really good. It's just there. I don't have time to pursue them. Um, but I think that the first step is obviously is obviously capturing your ideas, because I think a lot of people I know I do have ideas. You see something, you see a solution to it, you see a need, you see an opportunity to serve it. If you don't capture that right away, you forget it. And that's that's something that I learned as a writer early on, because I would get all sorts of ideas about things I wanted to either write, write about or, or ways of writing about things that I was working on. And I found that if I didn't like keep a notebook next to my bed and, and capture those, you know, if it came to me as I was going to sleep at night, I wouldn't remember them in the morning. And so that's the first step. But in terms of, of putting ideas into business, turning ideas into businesses, you know, I, I can't take credit for my first business um, because I didn't set out to create it. I wrote American icon, Alan Mulally and the fight to save Ford Motor Company back in 2012. And it became a bestseller right out of the shoot. And, and more than that, it was very quickly kind of became a manual for CEOs who were looking to transform their businesses, transform their business cultures to create a, a more of a team-based leadership culture in their organizations. And so I was still a journalist at the time. I honestly thought my next step was going to just be writing another book, finding another story and writing a book about it. And in fact, I had negotiated a deal with my newspaper, the Detroit News, so that I could work only four days a week and have have one day a week to to spend writing um, so I could get it you know, going on my next book. And instead, very quickly, what I started doing is spending that extra day a week speaking because I started getting calls from CEOs and and from some nonprofits as well as, as private companies from around the country saying, hey, we read your book. This is really exciting. We love the ideas. And could you come and, and tell us more about them? Could you come and speak to our senior leadership team? Could you speak to our company and, and help us understand Alan's uh, business plan review process, his working together philosophy, and share some of the lessons you learned from, from Ford's turnaround? So that's what I started doing. And then Brian, again, I at that point I didn't have any any idea that this was going to turn into anything more than you know kind of being on the speaking circuit. But then a lot of those folks who who hired me to come and speak then said, "Hey, loved what you said." even more than we liked what was in the book, can you help us implement some of these ideas in your in our organization? And so next thing I knew, I was quitting my job as a journalist and, and had started a small consultant, you know, boutique consulting practice to teach companies how to implement Allen's management processes in their in their companies. And, and that's that's how my first business got started. Well, that's really great. And what's what's even more interesting is that seems to be a common path. So uh, similar to this project, last week I had the opportunity to uh, interview uh, Colonel Retired Rob Campbell, who wrote At Ease and is talking about veterans and their transition for entrepreneurship and uh, and finding that next best life that they, they fought for. And so listening him take his stuff from 
book idea to uh, speaking engagements to to teaching small consulting, it seems that there's a very common trend and thread there. Um, I, I'm curious to know, are there, why did you choose Ford on that? And have you been interested in any other companies since writing that book? Well, I, I chose Ford because I was the Ford reporter at the Detroit news for, uh, gosh, you know, um, six, seven years before I wrote the book. And so I, I knew from the time I started covering Ford that the company was either going out of business or it was going to figure out how to save itself. And either way, it was going to be an amazing story to watch, which is why I took the job. And so I, I knew pretty much from my first day on the job that, that I was ultimately going to write a book about this, whatever happened. And so I kept copious notes and stuff. So that's, that's, that, that was why that became the first book. I, I, you know, it's interesting after, after I quit journalism and was now working as a consultant and teaching folks about this, I, I, I still wanted to write another book and I had some other ideas about other companies that I wanted to look at. And I, I explored some of them, you know, one, another, another CEO that I've had the opportunity to work with besides Alan that I really have always thought is an amazing example of business leader is Akio Toyota, the, who just stepped down as chairman of Toyota. And I wanted to to uh, do a book with Akio-san about uh, his leadership approach and about his vision of how to run organizations successfully and make a positive difference in the world while being a successful business too. Uh, Akio-san, was, was very, who's very humble, was very concerned about putting himself in front ahead of the company. And he, he encouraged me to write a book about Toyota. I said, I wasn't really interested in writing a book about Toyota. A lot of people have written great books about Toyota. Um, Jeff Liker, who I've, I've worked with, uh, you know, wrote the Toyota way. It's, it's a phenomenal book. I said, I don't want to write a book about Toyota. I want to write a book about you and your personal leadership style. And he didn't want to do that. Um, because he thought that it was, it was, it was not, something he wanted to put himself out in front of the company, um, which is part of the reason I wanted to write a book on it because most, most American CEOs would, would not be so humble. And I had some other companies that I, that I thought I had several companies reach out to me. I still do all the time, get companies reach out to me who say, Hey, you know, we loved your book about Ford. You know, you should write a book about us or our CEO. And yeah, I'm not, not interested in that. Um, so, that, you know, that, that is the short answer is yes, I did think about doing other things, but the more that I shared the learnings from my first book, the more that I, time I spent, Brian, teaching leaders and companies about Alan's management system, about his business philosophy, about his business plan review process, the more I realized that there was something missing in what I was teaching. And the thing that was missing in what I was teaching was what I had come, I started calling Alan, uh, uh, you know, was Alan. And obviously, you know, people say, oh, of course, you know, it's hard for other leaders to be as charismatic a, a leader as Alan Mulally. That's not what I meant, though. What I meant was, when I say what was missing was Alan is, is Alan's certainly very charismatic, and that's a big part of his secret sauce. 
But he also was something that I had started calling a, a constructive contrarian. His approach was very unique amongst leaders I've had the opportunity to work with and that he was always asking tough questions in a, in a, in a constructive way, but in a firm way of his teams. And I found that a lot of the leaders that I was training had a hard time doing that and that they had a particularly hard time doing it, Brian, when they became successful. When they were successful, they kind of like, yeah, you know, we cracked the code. Let's uh, lean back and, you know, let's go play golf. You know, it's uh, our work here is done. And Alan was all about continually challenging yourself, continually challenging your organization, continually challenge your team to do better. And so I started looking for how how to how to help individuals and organizations do that. And that's what led me to discover red teaming. When I discovered red teaming. That's what led me to discover the University of Foreign Military and Cultural Studies, which was the, the, the front name for Red Teaming University at the U.S. Army's Command and General Staff College. And that was what led me to pick up the phone and call the Pentagon and say, can I come and audit the course? Well, I'm so glad that they allowed you to come because I, <laughs> I would never have met you. And, and I am actually richer for having known you. Well, thank uh, you. Likewise. And I, I, I you know, it, it. believe me, as you know, it it was not a yes out of the shoot. <laughs> The first, the first response was, "Who the hell do you think you are?" Um, and uh, and I think that's you know going to your question about turning ideas into businesses. That's that's the first thing that I would I would throw in is that that I can actually take claim credit for um, as part of the success that I've had is is who I am is very tenacious and I don't give up. And so you know when when I decided I wanted to do this. I was determined to do this and I don't care how many people at the Pentagon told me, you know, you're a civilian. What, how do you, you know, why do you in the world would you think you could do this? Um, I kept at, I kept knocking on doors and, and kept asking people. And uh, as, as uh, the head of the program at uh, Fort Leavenworth said, uh, ultimately we found the right lawyer to give the right fatwa to, to let you uh, come on the program. And uh, it's, it's something that's important because I think when I think a lot of people, this is so important to entrepreneurship, Brian, you know, when I was a journalist, you know, you, 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 you always, there's the, these, there's so many cliches about, particularly in America about, you know, what's the secret to success in business or in life, you know, and, you know, hard work, son, you know, it's all about hard work. Well, you know, when I started my first company, Brian, what I came to realize is it really is about hard work. It it it, it is it is about hard work, and, and and it's about you know I there there's a great quote from Mark Cuban that goes along the lines of an entrepreneur is someone who works eighty hours a week for themselves so they don't have to spend forty hours a week working for someone else. And it's so true. I mean, I work vastly harder than I ever did as a newspaper journalist, but I'm a heck of a lot happier too. Um, and it's not just about making more money. It's about, you know, doing what you want to do, making the difference you want to make, not dealing with the BS of, of, of organizations that are, that are lost in the past and unable to evolve rapidly enough to, to confront the future and things like that. Um, but it is a lot of hard work and it's so easy. You know, I think a lot of people like I, when I heard people say that before I tried to start a business, I was very dismissive of it. 
I always thought it was a cop out, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, everybody says that, but it's true. Well, that's, that's uh, very insightful, Bryce. And I appreciate that. But at this time, I think, uh, I think we need to take a little bit of a break, don't you? Yes, let's take a break. And uh, when we come back, we can continue the conversation. Hey, folks, Bryce here. If you're listening to this and you're liking what you're hearing and you're wondering, am I a red team thinker? We have an easy way for you to find out. Just go to the show notes, click on the link there to our free assessment to find out if you are a red team thinker and what you can do to think more effectively to lead more effectively, and to make better decisions faster in your complex world. Like I said, the link is in the show notes, or you can simply go to our website, redteamthinking.com. Check it out. I can't wait to see how you score. So welcome back from the break. Uh, Bryce, uh, as you mentioned just before the break, we, we were talking about being tenacious. And one of the things that I, I appreciated about that is some of the, the military bosses that I've worked with, where especially that helped with the idea generation and, and looking at problems a different way was those leaders that really pushed very much like you mentioned with Alan in that uh, constructive element where it was always trying to help them get to yes. There were a lot mm -hmm. of people that were roadblocks or obstacles, but being a little bit more tenacious of figuring out the hard way to get to yes in a productive manner Mm -hmm. uh, that was, that, that was really beneficial for us. And that, and that's kind of where I prime myself that anytime I see a challenge opportunity problem that I'm coming with up with ideas. And so what's some of the best ways that you sit and reflect and do your idea generation? You know, it's, it's interesting. I don't have a, a specific process other than distance. You know, one of the things that I've learned, Brian, is that is that I rarely get good ideas when I when I'm got my nose to the grindstone. I rarely get good ideas when I'm trying to figure things out on the fly. When I get my best ideas, when I when I get the the, the greatest clarity, is when I'm able to step away from what I'm working on and put a little bit of space between what I'm doing and myself. And then I find I'm able to reflect on it in a more productive way. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm fortunate now. I, I live on the the, the Pacific, on, on the West Coast, on the Pacific Ocean, right on the right on the ocean. And I, I have a deck that looks out over the ocean, and and I will stop uh, several times a day and just go out and and make myself go out and sit outside and just stare at the ocean. Um, and it's it's amazing because. You know, often when I'm struggling with something and I can't quite figure out what the right answer is, it'll just come to me when I, when I, when I do that. Um, because you, you're, you know, you have a lot percolating in your brain. And if you try to, if you try to extract the gems from your thinking in the middle of that percolation, it's very difficult, you know, and, but if you can, if you can take a deep breath, get away, clear your head a little bit, go for a walk. I also like to go for a walk, you know, go for a walk on the beach or go for a walk in the woods. It, it's amazing how just putting a little distance um, can help you really formulate your ideas. But the other thing I'd say, Brian, is, and this, this is something that's really key to, to, to red teaming and red team thinking, is 
and I take this from from Dave Snowden's Kinefin framework, um, which is that that when you're dealing with a with a complex problem, which I think that that in most cases, being an entrepreneur is a complex problem. The the appropriate way to approach a complex problem, according to Snowden's Kinefin framework, is is to probe, sense, and then act, and what that what that translates into is is trying different things and seeing what works and not being af- afraid to to change course or to drop initiatives that aren't working you know one of the things that and it's interesting because i was talking with this about this with with my business partner marcus dimbleby uh, who's normally on the show with us today one of the things that we try to do in our business is to is to recognize that that if something's not working to avoid sunk cost fallacy to avoid um you know inertia too and just stop doing it and try something else and to try two or three different things with the understanding that that maybe at best one of them will work and that once we see which one it is, we can start to focus our efforts in that area. It's something that one of my one of my favorite uh, quotes, which I'll paraphrase it from 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 Bismarck, is is the you know along the lines of the key to, to to successful strategy is the simultaneous pursuit of diverse options, and and I really think that's true, particularly when you're when you're trying to find your footing as as, as an entrepreneur, is you have to you have to be willing to try different things, to try different, uh, uh, to tap different trees and see which ones are going to produce, uh, you know, good, sweet sap and which ones are dry, you know, before just saying, that's a beautiful tree right there. I'm going to keep hammering taps into it until I find the, the syrup. That doesn't really work that way. You've got to be, you've got to be willing to do out. And, and, and one thing that we do, Brian, that, that, I think is has been really a secret to our success is once a quarter, we have a conversation where we say, we look at everything we're doing, we map it out visually and we go down, we go through our map and we say, if we were starting over right now, would we still do this? And if the answer is not a, is not a pretty strong yes, we, we have a serious conversation about why we're still doing it now then. And we've we've killed off a lot of things as a result of that. And I think it's really important. I think that having the reflection on those iterations and really being a learning organization is what keeps good companies in business. Right. Uh, the the what you were talking about there is a very one of the key tenets that's taught here at the school uh, for entrepreneurship is fail early and fail often. Yeah. Right. Nobody really looks at failure as a negative thing when you're an entrepreneurial mindset. Failing means that you're learning and you're continuing to grow. And um, so when do you ever come across anyone in your, in your travels or experience where people are afraid of failing and how do you get them to overcome that? Um, I can't say that we really do. I mean, you know, our, 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 um, 
one of the things that is core to what we teach organizations and individuals is, you know, we're, we're providing people with tools and, and those tools are, are not designed to prevent you from ever making a mistake. They're try they're designed to prevent you from making the best decision possible. And sometimes, you know, the best decision possible still yields a, an undesirable outcome. And then you have to, you have to learn from that and, and incorporate that into your learnings. I mean, this is the thing, you know, um, I'm sure you remember from, from our class, we, we, we read several things by Dr. Gary Klein, the, the creator pre-mortem, um, and, uh, um, author of several really incredible books, one of which I remember we read in our class together, Brian Sources of Power, which I, I thought was a great book. And we've had the opportunity to work with Dr. Klein quite a bit over the years since I was at, at the school. And, um, you know, he and I were talking at the beginning of the pandemic. And one of the things that we were discussing is how do you, what, what advice do you give leaders right now? And, and, you know, what he said at the time, and which I, which I totally agreed with and still do, is that he said, you know, there's, there's two things that you can't do as a leader anymore. You can't, you can't wait to see how things sort out because we're, we're, in a, we're in a truly VUCA world now where, you know, it, yeah, you, you can wait and see how today's problem resolves itself, but there's going to be another challenge tomorrow that you have to deal with then. So you can't wait, wait this out. And then second, you can't make a decision and then hit the return button and expect that your plan is going to be executed, you know, without any further inputs on your behalf as a leader. Instead, what you have to do, and it goes back to what I just said about probe, sense, and, and, and act, is what you have to do is, is feel your way forward like a blind man crossing the street, tapping your stick in front of you, looking to see if there's a pothole or, a, or an obstruction. And if there is, moving to the left, moving to the right till you get around it, you know, and then, you know, finding, you know, kind of weaving your way through by, by tapping and testing and seeing and, and what that looks like is, is recognizing that decision-making isn't a linear process where you go through a series of steps to decide what decision you're going to make. And then, and then you, and then you make your decision and then you execute that decision and walk away and, and hope for the best. No, what you have to do is, is continue to monitor, monitor things. And this is something interesting enough was part of Alan's, uh, management strategy long before the pandemic, um, this is how he got Boeing through through 9-11. It's how he got Ford through the global financial crisis is recognizing that that having the right plan is only part of the equation, that you have to constantly be adjusting that plan, not changing the plan, but adjusting what that how you achieve those those plan targets, those plan goals as the environment around you changes. And that's particularly true of entrepreneurs. So you need to you need to approach things with an open mind. And, and as you, I love the term you use, Brian, as a learning organization. Even if you're a, 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 a business of one, you can still be a learning organization. You can still approach things with a learning mindset. And where you get into problems is people who think that they've created this perfect strategy and that, and that all they have to do is, is hit the big red button and then stand back and watch their, their dreams be realized. It's not how things work.
No, in fact, we're, we're, we're talking about that in our uh, global competitive strategy uh, class as well. And, and it's interesting to see as I was doing my entrepreneurial or not my entrepreneurial, excuse me, my internship hunt uh, for, for this summer between my two years at, at the school here. Uh, I, I was faced looking at a lot of different companies that have had strategies that have been in place for years. Right. That have gone fairly unchanged. Mm-hmm. Well, the world is constantly changing around them. And I can't help but think if I'm going to go and do an internship there, yeah, I'll gain a lot of experience, but I don't know that I would want to be there full time. That's kind of the reason why I've been doing, looking at this entrepreneurial piece is because if so, company, some companies are such legacy companies that they are unwilling to look at themselves like you mentioned with your company, right? That, that's a perfect example of how you have an iterative process, mm-hmm. probably even a time scheduled each year. You said mm-hmm. in, 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 each in, quarter in our case, each quarter. Mm-hmm. yeah, to, to really look at yourselves and grow and evolve, realizing that, like you said, I mean, the world, the business world is a vacuum. Right. It's your everything's high velocity. Everybody's sharing the same information. It's it's what is over the horizon and what opportunities exist that companies are aligning themselves to move towards. Uh, I, I just really appreciate the, the, the element that you bring to this and the, and the concepts that you're sharing. Um, what I'm curious of, especially... Can I just say something on that, Brian? Yeah, please, please. You know, when I was writing my book, Red Teaming, I actually included a letter in there that, that that's the letter that, that Larry Page sent out to Google's employees the day that they announced the formation of Alphabet. And one of the things, that, the reason I included it is because is because what Larry says in that letter is that we have to recognize that that we have reached a point where continuous improvement is not enough anymore. That if you want to succeed in business, in whatever business you're in, let alone survive, you need to, to be prepared to disrupt yourself. And you need to be willing to disrupt yourself. And you need to be willing to kind of make these leaps forward. To, to new ways of doing things, to new ways of, of running your business, to new businesses. And he said, that's why we're setting up, up Alphabet is because we need to not be narrowly focused on Google and, and being a search engine company, because if we continue to do that, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to challenge ourselves in that way enough. And I think that that's really key to entrepreneurship too, is... is to recognize that all you're doing is iterating and that if you're lucky, you get a chance to iterate again. And if you're lucky, you get another chance to, you know, and, and it becomes the, the more, the more successful you are at iterating, the less it becomes about luck and the more it becomes about skill. But the second that you give up on that, the second that you get satisfied, the second that you get complacent, the second that you get fat, dumb and happy, is the second that somebody else is, you know, puts the bead on, on the back of your head and takes a, takes a, a, a deep breath and exhales as their, as their, as their finger curls around the trigger, because that's the moment you're, you're finished as a company, I think. I agree. And then the other, the other aspect of that on the entrepreneurial side is what are they looking at over the horizon? 
Like it's one thing to, to fix your mistakes from yesterday and move on from those, but what else is coming that you might not see? A lot of people can't clearly see what's on the other side of that horizon. Well, I'll, I'll give another Google example there. You know, I, I was, uh, as folks may know, Alan Mulally was on the board of Google until last year. And when the pandemic started, Alan and I still talk all the time. And, and, and when the pandemic started, I called Alan up and I said, so, and this was, this was like probably like April at latest May of 2020. So not even a full quarter into the pandemic. And I asked Alan, I said, how are you guys coping with the pandemic in, in Google? What are you, what are you thinking? And he said, Bryce, he said, we, we're, we're way beyond that now. He said that, you know, we, figuring out how to deal with the pandemic was what we were doing two months ago. He said, what we're, what we're focused on now is dealing with the crises that come from this crisis. And he explained to me, he said, you know, there's, there's all manner of dominoes that have now been toppled by this. And you could snap your fingers. And again, keep in mind, folks, this was spring of 2020. He said this. He said, you could snap your finger and have COVID disappear tomorrow. And nothing is going to keep those dominoes from toppling the dominoes that, that, that are in front of them and the ones that are in front of those. And so he said, we're, we're, we're already looking beyond this as to what, and they were already then looking at things like, you know, the future of work. What does this mean? You know, for, for, you know, will we ever be able to get people back into the office five days a week? And do we want to bring people back into the office five days a week after this? You know, things like that. And, and what opportunities does it create for us as a company when, when so many people who rely on our products are now, you know, have their workforces working in these hybrid situations and all this stuff. It's all not just negative, it's opportunities as well. But that's the point is it's looking beyond the, it's looking not only at the horizon, but beyond the horizon. And I think that's, that's what the best companies do. You know, I'll go back to Toyota. When first time I met Akio-san, when I sat down with him, he shared with me Toyota's hundred year plan. And, and it's not a joke. It's a serious living document that they update every five or 10 years. And this was back in, this was back in 1999, the first time I, I sat down with Akio-san. And back in 1999, he told me that, that uh, the overarching strategic goal of the 100-year plan was that by 2099, Toyota had to ensure that all of its products had net zero impact on the earth, not just carbon, but net zero impact in toto on the earth. And he explained to me, he says, because we can see that a hundred years from now, consumers will not accept allowing companies to destroy the earth and to exploit the earth in order to, to produce and sell and use their products. So we have to figure out before we get to that point, how to eliminate the impact of our products on the planet. And he said, and, and, and it wasn't just like a pipe dream. He already showed, you know, when he showed it to me back then, there was already, you know, several subsidiary points about that. Like, you know, that means our vehicles have to be hundred percent recyclable. That means that we have to source our raw materials in sustainable ways. That means we have, you know, back then he said, that means we have to stop using, using fossil fuels to power our vehicles and, and all this stuff. I mean, keep in mind, this is 1999. And, and this is guiding Toyota's work since then, and it will continue to guide Toyota's work until 2099. And I have no doubt that, that 
you know, if we make it to 2099, <laughs> that, uh, uh, you know, Toyota will, 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 will have, have achieved that if anyone can achieve it. Um, and that's what really successful companies do. And when I say really successful, I mean companies that are successful for the long term, as opposed to companies that, you know, like uh, certain other automakers run by uh, by by Twitter CEOs that uh, that may make some money for for a few years, but ultimately don't have a sustainable business plan or a sustainable business model. Yeah, that's it's it's awesome that you got to catch a glimpse of that and understand how even the likelihood that they will achieve those well before those hundred years, right? That, that yeah. they have aligned themselves and postured themselves in such a way to strive towards that. Likely they're going to hit that benchmark early, which oftentimes when you do goal setting, that's what happens. And so I, I was actually curious to know a little bit more about your notebook. What, what something, what are some things in your notebook that you might not have completely ideated about or, or developed out that, you know, one, two, maybe three things that if you were given extra time or a sabbatical from what you're working on right now and could focus on, what are some things that in, in your notebook that you would want to bring forward and work more on? Stay tuned. Thank you for tuning in to The Thinking Leader. Check the show notes for more information about the topics covered in this episode. There, you'll also find a link to our free assessment. Click on it right now to find out if you are a red team thinker with a red team culture.